The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. Hello and welcome to Who New and Review, a Doctor Who podcast from your pals at the Galactic Network. Now, Doctor Who is bringing back a writer who worked on the classic series and, well, for the first time since the show was revived in 2005. It's quite big news, this, getting an old writer to uh, come and do something. This would be uh, Rona Munro, and uh, they'll return to the sci-fi, BBC sci-fi, to pen the ninth episode of the up-and-coming tenth series. According to Doctor Who magazine, her episode currently has a working title of The Eaters of Light, with a guest cast including Daniel Kerr from Outlander, uh, Joan Adadokan, who's from um, uh, Damilola and our lovely boy and Brian Vernal from The Last Kingdom. Now, what I find quite surprising is they're finally releasing this information and this is going to be, what, episode 9? So what have they been doing all this time? They haven't even, they haven't even got episode 9 in the can. They're hoping to start in spring, they've got Christmas what have they been doing no wonder i've had no filming news it appears that they haven't been filming come on bbc sort it out so why does a doctor who almost have a female companion well stephen moffat 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 has been speaking on this issue the outgoing showrunner insisted that the show itself is a Well, it's rather female and it would be damaging not to have a woman at the Doctor's side because science fiction is notoriously male. Well, yes, it is notoriously male, but the Doctor Who is also a a trailblazer when it comes to science fiction, so I don't... Should it really be that the Doctor only has a female companion? I personally find that it works better when he has a male companion, but that is just me. Well, that's because between you and me, I'd like to be his companion. As you know, Doctor Who is officially the world's longest-running science fiction TV series. Uh, It's true because it says so on Wikipedia, so it must definitely be true. Did you know that the Time Lord's travels were very nearly cut short? on more than one occasion on at least six occasions you see the Daleks couldn't pull it off but more than once the BBC very nearly killed the Doctor at least six times we know of uh, when the axe swung and it swung perilously close to his ever-changing head but do you know what these six times I'm referring to are now don't look at the show notes no looking at the show notes oh no How about you email me instead, tardis at gncasts.com and tell me what you think they are. You're not going to get a prize, but you will get a mention. We know that Moffat's going to hand the TARDIS key over to the new showrunner Chris Chibnall in 2018. But Stephen Moffat has insisted 
that he's got no interest in returning to Doctor Who once he leaves. Moffat will exit the show as head writer and executive producer after its up-and-coming 10th series. And he won't be back as a guest writer. Oh no. He said he's written a hell of a lot of Doctor Who. And um, he's written more Doctor Who than anything else. And more Doctor Who than anyone else. And he wants a rest. That's what he was telling the Oxford Union, the students at Oxford. Well, I mean, he has got a point. He has wrote and quite, written quite a lot. And dare I say that his quality has gone down. Yeah, a little bit. The Science of Doctor Who. Indeed, the science behind who? Let's look at a robot. A robot is a constructed replication of something that uses a robotics for the purpose of mimicking something else or achieving a task. Robots can be guided by an external control device or the control may be embedded within. Robots may be constructed to take on a human form, but most robots are simply machines designed to perform a task with no regard to aesthetics. Robots can be autonomous or semi-autonomous and range from humanoids such as Honda's Advanced Step-In Innovative Mobility or ASIMO and uh, Toz's ping-pong playing robot Topio to industrial robots, medical operating robots, uh, patent assist robots, dog, dog therapy robots, collectively programmed swarm robots, UAV drones such as General Atomic's MQ-1 Predator, and even microscopic teeny tiny ickle nano robots. By mimicking a lifelike appearance or automating movements, a robot may convey a sense of intelligence or thought of its own. The branch of technology that deals with the design, construction, operation and application of robots as well as computer systems for their control, sensory feedback and information processing is, as you know, called robotics. These technologies deal with automated machines that can make the place of take the place of humans in dangerous environments or manufacturing processes or resemble humans in appearance, behaviour, cognition. Many of today's robots are inspired by nature, contributing to the field of bio-inspired robotics. These robots have also created a newer branch of robotics called soft robotics. Now, from the time of ancient civilization, there have been many accounts of user-configurable automated devices and even automa resembling animals, humans, designed primarily as entertainment. As mechanical techniques develop through the industrial age, there appears more practical applications such as automated machines, remote control and wireless control. Well, that's what the sort of sciencey boffins have to say, but let's see, the long-running British science fiction television series Doctor Who has featured many robots. A robot, also called an automatron by at least the tenth Doctor, was a mechanical device with the ability to do work without the help of a living organism. 
One type of robot was an android, a humanoid robot, such as Chameleon, who could also shapeshift. Robots also come in other forms, such as a dog, such as E, such as canine. For every robot, there was a creator or creators. Whether it was humans creating robots, robots creating robots. For example, the Frederick Marius, who invented the canine Mark I. So there we go. That is the science behind Doctor Who. Now, I don't know many robotics engineers, but if they listen to this show, hey, give me a call. I'd like a robot for myself. Preferably one that serves cheese and crackers. Wouldn't that be awesome? Many thanks for downloading this podcast from the Galactic Network. We have so much to offer. Maybe it's horror or adventure gaming. Perhaps you just like to listen to a couple of nerds geeking out. Well, if that's the case, then visit gncasts.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. And have a good poke around. You'll be surprised what you find. Maybe you'd like to chat to the hosts. If so, then why not sign up to our Slack channel? Or simply you want to tell us what a great job we're doing. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. Ah, 1963. Oh, they say if you can remember the 60s, man, you wasn't there. Do you know what? I wasn't there. I don't think anyone from the Galactic Network team was. Well, maybe Dave Nelson. (laughs) I'm joking, Dave. All right, I'm joking. Don't fire me. The only reason I mention it is because in 1963 they required an exciting episodic stories using surprising visual effects and unusual scenery about excursions into time and into space or into any material state that they can make feasible. You see, in 1963 the BBC was exploring the possibility of launching a new science fiction series, the show, as imagined by Sidney Human, the then head of drama. He wanted it to educate and entertain. It was Doctor Who, but not as we know it. It was thought he might be a crotchety man who hated the future, who wanted to find a calm place in the past, who wanted to destroy people, who wanted to be downright nasty. He wanted to be there at the birth of the baby Jeebus. I know. All these things and more. Just not the show that it is today. I think it's fascinating some of the notes. And I've included a link. There's quite a lot online about this. I think it'd be fascinating if we could go back in time and um, recreate the show how it was intended. Actually, no. Scratch that. I think the show tastes better now than it did back then. So, by now you must be up to speed with the Children in Need Christmas special, the fact that the Doctor, Nardole and the Plucky Reporter are cornered inside the Sinister Institute by the gun-wielding secret agent. 
then we get the Vigilante. Now, I've posted another link to this, and there's quite a few of these online anyway, but it's great, it's a great place to take take stock, look at stills, just have a well, have a bit of a butchers to try and work out what's going on. Where where does that fit in the film? Is that the is this show? Is that the start of the show? Is that the bit after the credits? I mean, I don't know. They haven't given too much away. Um, but what we do know is we're going to get a uh, camper than Christmas superhero story um, and the doctor eating sushi. So you know, have you tried sushi? Well, the doctor has, and he likes it. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. I found this story today. Now, it is potentially, well, potentially spoilery. So if you don't like your spoilers, forward on for a 30 seconds or so. Because tucked away at the bottom of a recent Mirror article were rumoured details on some of the new monsters coming up early on Series 10. Now these are far from official, but it does align with some things we know from filming. Spoilerphobes, listen at your own risk. Episode 2 features killer robots that have emoji faces. They're likely to give hugs that reduce their victims to skeletons. Episode 3 features a snake monster that lives under the Thames. And episode 4 we find out why our floorboards squeak. Because there are giant wood lice in there, of course! Well, that's the end of the little spoilery bits. Do I think it's true? Probably not. But then again, I remember, didn't I say that about Davros? Oh, well, yeah. I still owe Dave a coffee for that. I hope he doesn't remember. Now, Stephen Moffat, as you know, has been speaking to the Doctor Who magazine, issue 506. And he said he's not sure whether fans will ever get to see the Doctor's daughter, Jenny, again. Apparently, when asked the question, he went, well, which daughter? Because he's had his family on Gallifrey. I don't know which daughter you're referring to. And it's just like, oh, Stephen, you're such a wag in your last year. You think you're funny, but you're not. I am pleased you're leaving. Genuinely, get out. No, out. This is the problem uh, I have with with the statement that he's put out and it's part of the um, part of the issues that anyone that watches doctor who faces and that's because they will create a creature a monster a sibling a person a friend they will create someone they will bring them in they'll do an awesome job and you'll go oh i want to see more and then you never see them again instead you get the likes of Strax and uh, Vastra and things like that, and I'm not I'm not against the Paternoster gang, but they was good for a couple of episodes. But Jenny, you know, she regenerated. See what I did there. Uh, so what what about her? You know, what about Captain Jack? I mean, there's so many stories. Please, please, just you know. So whilst I understand him saying. Yeah, really? Do, do, do fans ever get to see him again? A bit of consistency would be absolutely splendid. Hauntings, sky sounds, parallel universes, monster sightings, the New World Order, 
ghost ships, urban legends, mysterious radio broadcasts, and secret government facilities are just a few things we've talked about on Weird World Weekly. Listen to find out what's next. Go to gncasts.com slash weird to listen, find out more, and subscribe to the podcast that discusses the paranormal, mythological, conspiratorial, unexplained, or anything else we think is a little strange and out of the ordinary. Also, Matt's continuing search for turkey recipes. It's all on Weird World Weekly, part of the Galactic Netcast network of shows, also available wherever you listen to podcasts. Without further ado, it's time for the A to Z. Ah, the A to Z. Coming up after A to Z, just so you know, is my little spoilery, possibly spoilery, ramblings all about class. So, if you haven't seen it yet, and you don't wish to know anything about the episode that I've just watched, then after A to Z, turn off. Please don't turn off. Please listen. Oh, I just want you to listen. So, the monster this week is Max Capricorn from the episode Voyage of the Damned. Plant of origin is Stowe. And when it comes to technology, Max Capricorn's got that covered. He's got a cruise liner. A space cruise liner. He's got an indestructible omnistate impact chamber. And... Well, he's only gone and got a cyborg body. Max Capricorn was a businessman from Stowe who owned Max Capricorn Cruise Liners, which operated the space cruise liner Titanic. In the latter years of his life, he'd become a cyborg with only his head remaining organic. But since his people were prejudiced against cyborgs, Capricorn had to hide his true nature and communicate with others through a hologram. He intended for the Titanic to crash into Earth, detonating its nuclear storm drive and destroying all life on the planet. His company would then be wiped out, its board members jailed for mass murder, while Capricorn could live out his retirement on Panhexico 2. Max Capricorn, what a massive douche. There we go. But now, it's time to change the music. It's time to light the lights. It's time to... No, sorry, that's something else, isn't it? Well, we're sticking with Muppets, because uh, we're going to go and visit Coal Hill School and see what the uh, the young idiots have been doing there. I shouldn't be so disparaging. There's a reason for it, and... Well, let's change the music. Yes, let's change the music. Um... I give it a proper series and actually develop the characters. Should I leave it there or shall I go? Now, you see, a touch of class. Uh, the way the review will work is as follows. I will begin with a synopsis. I will give you what I feel are the good bits, the bad bits and the most Hoovian bits. These are likely to be descriptions or dialogues. And then I'll tell you any notable things in way of a sort of review followed by the universal ratings of TARDISes. How many out of five do I think it is? The synopsis this week is 
April must confront Caracanus as the others try to save the Earth from extinction. Battling through the Shadow King realm, April knows there is no going back. She has to defeat Caracanus. On Earth, the invasion of the Petals is rapidly snowballing. Confronted with the threat of planet extinction, new headmistress Dorothea attempts to force Charlie into making a transformational decision. But Miss Quill has other ideas from him. As Charlie, Mateus and Tanya try to stop the Petals from annihilating the human race, April must fight the terrifying forces light years away from home. <sighs> it's a shame because April and Ram are the best characters. But April was just a bit... Meh. Anyway, the good bits from this are certainly the scenes of flower death. I like the fact that we have got oh, such an innocuous killer. I mean, they're petals. You wouldn't think, you wouldn't think that they could be bad in any way, shape or form, would you? But the bad bits, again, they're, they're, they're pushing the story through at the expense of some character development. And character development is important. If you want people to buy into this, it's got to be. So far, yeah, Miss Quill is, is slightly better developed. But even she is two-dimensional. April and Ram have a lot of screen time together. And they are the best characters, but they are not. They are just not developed characters. They need developing a little bit more. Uh, I don't think it's too much to ask. I understand it's Series 1. But Series 1 is when you develop the characters. It all seems a bit... Bang! In your face, everything's happening. Bang! Yeah. If this wants to be the British Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which it is purported to do, and I can understand the parallels, but Buffy was a slow burn. It was a little bit weird. It wasn't bang, bang, big thing, big thing, big thing, big thing. There was lots of little small things to get to the big thing. And that's, that's what's missing. I did enjoy the sentence, and I think it's the most universal bit. If you think about one of those sentences, not one of them makes sense. And that is how it, Doctor Who is, and that's how the Hooniverse is. That's also how class is a little bit. So these are the things that I wrote as I as I watched the show as I and I I, did, I watched it and I watched it twice because I didn't want to miss anything but at the same time I desperately am trying to find my care for this and I'm currently watching it out of a sense of it's connected to the Doctor Who universe I guess I should but it's hmm. the continuing multiplication of the flowers is creepy it's um it really is and, and i don't mind that at all and it struck me whilst i was watching it the planet of the shadowkin is um well, it's, i think is it the underneath is it 
it's the upside down, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's what what it is. Uh, 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 it reminded me of Stranger Things, the the actual realm that they was in, and I thought that was uh, I thought it was I thought it was great. Um, the realm looks stunning. It's the one thing that the Doctor Who production teams can do excellently when they try. They can do alien worlds excellently and this was no um this was no uh, this was no accident that it looks that way one of the things i um i like and i, I like this that there are there are key there are key science fiction shows which do it well which show up so many other shows about how to represent religion and the right religion to represent um, the first, the first show I remember watching that represented religion properly was Babylon Five, um, and Doctor Who. Doctor Who does it incredibly well, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't try and be preachy. It doesn't try and be clever. I mean, it, it's, it does it in a very good way, and the way the drama mentioned the Sikh religion uh, was was particularly good. I think it was um, I think it was excellent to see um, the Sikh religion actually represented on TV and um, Ram to you know give a little bit about his personal life on that. I was also pleased with this episode because finally, 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 an adult has noticed that four kids shouldn't be the ones stopping the vampires coming through out of their helmet. The monsters out of the hell mouth, the, the hell crack. Yeah, we're going to call it a hell crack. From now on, the monsters are coming from the hell crack. And it was good that an adult had actually noticed that uh, it shouldn't really be four, four kids that do that. And then, oh, look, it's April. Hello, April in the cave. Oh, look, it's Ram. Ram's in the cave too. Oh, they, they, oh, they're a bit dirty, aren't they? Oh, what are they going to do? Oh. They're going to kiss. Yeah. No. And I don't think that's how, how the younger adults be would behave in this situation. It's not how I'd have behaved in that situation. Oh, no. Then again, I'm a nerd, so probably at that time I would never have kissed a girl. I'm joking. I've kissed two at least. Now let's go, let's get to talk about the, the headmistress, shall we? She plays the I'm an evil, creepy headmistress quite well. But ultimately, um, she's lame. And I, I think that's, again, it, it comes down to development. Um, and I think that's the biggest problem that we are going to face with this show is character development. But Quill, her facial expressions, yeah. One of the best things about this show are the the um, the, the facial expressions from from Miss Quill. The I don't understand. The oh my god, it's lovey dovey. The ugh, the ooh, and the mm. and you know what I mean, yeah. So while the shadow dude is on his knees. The uh, the deadbeat dad, you know, the, the the one who tried to kill April in in the car, April's dad, 
gives a speech. And I'm like thinking, dude, you know, well done for your speech. But I wanted him to get killed. I thought that would have been the, the totally the right thing to do. I'd have, I'd have killed the deadbeat dad. And I'd have had April realise that even though he's a deadbeat, that she still loves him. And I'd have had that power, as cheesy as it is, kill the Shadowkin who was on his knees so April could get her heart back. But no. No. He gave a speech. And oh god, oh yawn. Well done for giving a speech. Shut up. Go home. Hope you die. Well, that's a bit cruel, isn't it? Wow. You see how angry class is getting me? So let's do a recap for the end of the episode. We have a um, a prince with a weapon. We have uh, a dude with a robot leg. And we have a girl king in charge of a shadow army that's just eaten loads of petals. You can't make this stuff up. So, how many am I going to give it? Well, out of five TARDISes, I can only give this one a maximum of three TARDISes out of five. I'll be back next week with more. Check out some of our other shows, gncasts.com. Mail me, yeah, or uh, Slack chat me, or just uh, tweet me at WNAR underscore podcast. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.